and welcome to Way Too Twog's Bagpipe and History Podcast, where I, your host Jeremy, explores the possible repertoire of 18th and early 19th century bagpipers. Come and let's enjoy some tunes. So I uh, I interrupt this program, I guess. My plan had been to do a John Bell episode, uh, but my new bagpipes got here. So I've been enjoying uh, a lot the Rob Felsberg Quiet Piper Small Pipes. I've had them for less than 24 hours, but I think I already have... Uh, well, I certainly have a podcast worth of pretty stellar recordings of this beautiful instrument, so um, that's what we're going to do on this episode. I've mostly played through a bunch of stuff from William Vickers' manuscript from 1776, and some tunes from the Patrick MacDonald manuscript, or Patrick MacDonald book, rather, as well, from 1784, is that one? 84, 81? Um, 18th century collections, anyway. So, uh, yeah. And then just some other uh, random bits and bobs as well. I think it makes sense to start with the first tune that kind of jumped out of the chanter, uh, which is a track off of Pay the Pipe Macker. Uh, it's two tunes written by Matt Seattle. This is Apple Trees' Michael Better and Old Gala House. Uh, it's track 17 on Pay the Pipe Maker. But anyway, here it is on these Felsberg Small Pipes. Yeah, so I guess technically uh, it was just the first tune, uh, Apple Trees is Mickle, Apple Trees is Mickle Butter, Mickle Butter. Um, but yeah, you can kind of hear the way that, uh, so that was me playing within the first 20 minutes of opening the box, uh, so I guess it wasn't technically the first tune to come out of my fingers, but it was the first time I played when I figured out what to do with all the drones, and it was really just one of the options for what to do with all the drones. Uh, it's a four-drone set of pipes, and so... Uh, yeah, I was playing all of them, uh, and I would turn them off when I started, and it was sort of nice, the The pressure is set up with a couple of the reeds really well, where I can just barely let the pressure out, and then they'll come in, so you can kind of have them join you, and which you can hear in that in that tune a good bit as well. Um, yeah, like I said, it's, it's weird, I'm, I'm recording this, I guess, technically exactly 24 hours after I got the pipes. So all these recordings were made yesterday and this morning, or yesterday and last night, I guess, uh, kind of in the early hours in the morning. Because um, yeah, these things are lovely. They're quiet, so I can record them no problem when the rest of the house is sleeping. Um, like I said, there's a bit of a organization here in that it's, uh, I tried to stick to some William Vickers tunes, and I think some William Dixon tunes, um, and then just some other stuff that jumped into my head. But let's go chronologically and see if I can't play um, a William Dixon tune. And this also has the honor of, um, or, or kind of just like what we just heard, uh, those Matt Seattle tune. Um, this was also on my album. So this is a track off of um, Roly Poly, the album that just came out. Thanks everybody for for looking at that and buying it. Um, when I competed with the set, it's uh, it's Strike the Bell from William Vickers and then Little Wee Winking Thing from William Dixon. And when I originally competed with that set for LBPS, I used Denny Hall Small Pipes, and it doesn't let you take advantage like my D Small Pipes. Um, 
it switches, the tune switches back and forth, the C's from C naturals to regular C's in Vickers' uh, manuscript. And so you can't really, I couldn't do that with my D pipes. Um, so for the album, I did it on my G border pipes where I could do that and C pipes. Um, and the nice thing about Felsberg's Chanter is it's got the back thumb hole on the lower hand, so you can get those C naturals. So anyway, here it is on uh, Small Piper, Quiet Piper, Small Pipes. The little wee winking thing from William Dixon and first strike the bell for William Bickers. Yeah, and again, with that recording, I turned off the um, baritone. Uh, I tuned the baritone down to a D, which I thought worked really well with Little Wee Winking Thing, and it didn't work well with Strike the Bell, and because of the pressure set up with the drones, it's just nice to kind of 
give it a little hiccup and then it'll come in, which you can hear when the little wee winking thing starts. Rather than jumping right into the next William Dixon tune, I wanted to show off that back thumb hole again. Uh, and again, you know, another tune off of one of my albums. This is Robin's Rolly Poly. Uh, so this is the opening track to uh, Rolly Poly. Uh, so yeah, check it out. But because of that back thumb hole, I can play it on on a small bite. It kind of extends the range significantly to be able to play uh, that, that C natural there. So anyway, here is Robin's Rolly Poly on the small piper pipes. Yeah, so the trick is getting the pressure right for the bass. So I can get the kind of all the other drones to come in with a little bit of pressure, but the bass needs a real heavy let all the pressure out uh, to to start up again when I'm if I'm trying to do those like quick add in drone things in the middle of playing. Uh, all right. Anyway, let's look for our next William Dickinson uh, William Dixon tune, which is Golden Locks.
All right, so just a quick refresher. If you're not familiar, William Dixon uh, wrote uh, just a big old tune book, uh, probably around 1733. The date 1733 shows up a couple times in the manuscript. I actually had planned to talk uh, a good deal about this manuscript uh, on the kind of John Bell episodes because there's some interesting things that, that go on with it. Uh, most of us use... Matt Seattle's setting, uh, the Master Piper is, I think, what the book is called, and Matt has made adjustments so it's really legible to us folks that are kind of trained in a Highland pipe uh, setting. So, uh, but it makes it considerably less accessible to people that are trained in uh, kind of a more English piping tradition. So William Dixon's staff was four lines, so you kind of get to make a bit of a choice about where you're going to put the music. Um, but Matt did the thing that I have done in my head where you kind of shift everything up one point on the scale, right? So rather than looking like a G, it's moved up to an A. Um, and that makes it a lot more comfortable for us as, as Highland Pipers. And at first I used to not worry about it cause it's like, it's a four line staff. So you kind of get to pick and choose what you do with it. Right. Like if it's above or below. Um, but yeah, I think adding a line to the staff, uh, is a little bit different than adding a line to the staff and shifting all the notes up one point. I mean, I think it's, a wildly successful choice that Matt made to, to make that music really accessible to, um, to us, like to me, like, I think when I first got William Dixon's tune book, if it was printed in the same setting that Dixon wrote it, um, which is to say like in the same position related to lines or spaces on the, on the staff, even though we're going to have to add a line, it would have been, uh, illegible to me. Um, but I think it is worth noting that like, all of Dixon's stuff was written for people that are more comfortable playing on like G home bagpipes rather than a home bagpipes. And, um, which is all just to say, this is sort of, uh, well, I guess by the time this episode comes out, I'll have already given my talk at Piper's gathering, but this is my kind of big argument for just, uh, when we're looking at original manuscript, it's really good to be able to read more than one setting of music, like like being able to read music in A and being able to read music that's down, like for Illin Pipes in D, gives you like a really wide spread of being able to interpret historic tunes. And the more you're train yourself to be able to sight read that stuff, the better. But I think the hard one for a lot of us is to get used to reading stuff one, just one note off. Um, but that really also quadruples your opportunities to like take a tune that doesn't sound good try it in these different fingerings and like realize how it might have been interpreted by historic players so anyway we'll talk more about this uh, when I do talk about the the John Bell stuff, but I'm realizing too like this episode is a lot of Matt Seattle so um, mostly it's William uh, we've got these William Dickens or Dixon tunes that all come from Matt's uh, interpretation and sometimes Matt too um, he, he mentions in the footnotes in his books, but he makes changes um, and kind of makes some choices and adds some things. Um, with Little Wee Winking Thing, he added a whole other part to the printing of it that I don't I don't play. Um, and yeah, so you just gotta like I think Matt's work is really accessible, and he does a lot of uh, digging around to like find concordances. That's really interesting. But you just should look at the notes to see which things are explicitly. William Dixon and which things are, are Matt Seattle's creation. Just, just a little disclaimer. Um, I think the stuff that Matt adds generally adds to it. Like it generally does make it better musically, but oftentimes when Matt is talking about music theory, it's stuff that goes completely over my head. And I believe him that like he understands and has a good sense of the type of music that William Dixon was playing, but ultimately I'm always a little bit more comfortable using the original source material, right? Like I want to go with, I want the interpretations that I'm monkeying around with to be mine. Like if I'm going to change a piece, uh, I'd prefer to know that I'm the, <laughs> the cause of that rather than me changing than what Matt Seattle did. Right. If that makes sense. Um, but yeah, the other music we're going to hear a lot from today is William Vickers. Vickers I'm using, you can look at the original on, um, there's a website called Farn Archive, which I'll, I'll link to in the description, but the website's database is pretty broken. Um, so you can search by tune title and often find the original, um, but it is not easy to, to make. But again, Matt has worked on a lovely book uh, called, I think, The Great Northern Tune Book that you can buy through um, a Northumbrian Piping Society. Again, I'll have a link in the description. And it's great. And again, though, you've got to look at the footnotes. 
um, Matt is honest about like, well, I made some changes here because, you know, a lot of the stuff that our 18th century musician ancestors are making, I mean, both William Dixon and William Vickers, they didn't publish their books. It was just their tune books. I think those tune books that instruments or that musicians made for themselves often yield the best tunes. Like it is not something that somebody published in order to fill out a book. It is the tune that they go back to a lot or that they thought was good enough to write down. Um, but oftentimes there's little funky things that don't make sense music theory-wise, especially he, like you got William Dixon, who has a four-line stave. Obviously he is not... Um, he is not bound by the rules of music theory in the same way that Matt Seattle feels like he needs to be to publish that book, right? Um, and I think there's a there might be a little bit of a mistake to assume that um, that William Vickers or William Dixon would make choices that make it sound more music theory wise and say, "Oh, he's making a mistake here, and here I'm correcting it. This is probably how he played it." It's like, well, no, he probably played it the way he wrote it. Maybe he made a mistake, or maybe he found a thing musical to do that he really liked. Um, there's also like this funny thing uh, during the LBPS uh, conference or workshop rather I, I gave back in February, March, was it? I don't know, but I, I gave a presentation on um, various tunes that had to do with women or were about women. And, and Matt was on the call and I was playing through a tune and, you know, I, I asked Matt for advice on tunes and he just said, well, make sure to play something that you really know uh, and don't just kind of play something new. And so I picked the tunes I was going to play to teach people. And then I played them over and over and over and over and over again. And so then when I was teaching it, Matt was like, why are you putting two lines in that staff rather than four? Because uh, sometimes I would, I would switch out the number of beats in the measure, apparently. And I had no idea I was doing it, um, but it was just what sounded musical to me. And be over the course of playing that tune a bunch, it had morphed and it had lost anything resembling perfect structure. Um, even when I recorded um, like that tune that we played to, to open with it, the Apple Trees is Mickle Better, that's not how Matt wrote it. Um, <laughs> when I, I sent him a version of it that I was going to have on the album, and he's like, okay, well, you're kind of doing that one open however you want to play it, which I think works, but for for the next tune, I'd rather you play it as written. It's like, I just didn't even process how much I had changed it. Cause it was the thing that made sense to me musically. And I think, um, part of what I have really enjoyed about doing this podcast for so long and spending so much time in 18th century sources is I feel I'm, I'm comfortable. I'm more comfortable trusting myself, I guess, to like, I've, I've played a lot of music from the 18th century feel like I have a good vibe for like what's an appropriate thing to do or not to still feel within that world, I guess. Um, anyway, uh, so that's a little bit of an interlude in an episode that's otherwise just, you know, all about showing off how great these Robert Felsberg pipes are and they are excellent. So, uh, let's go to a tune. I think we just had it on the podcast last week, but it's such a good tune. This is Vickers tune, uh, Bonnie Miller. So William Vickers had a manuscript published in 1776. Um, and it is again, an unfinished manuscript. So it's not published, but that's around the time he wrote it. I'm not sure how they wound up with the 1776 date, but sometime in the 1770s, again, William Dixon's book, it's just 1733 shows up in that book a couple times. It makes sense. Everything that's in that collection, it makes sense for it to be around uh, like a 1730s publication. But uh, anyway, here is William Vickers setting for the Bonnie Miller.
let's do the next one, uh, which is going to be another William Vickers tune. Uh, this one is called Old Wagon Way, and it uses that cool low F note. Um, so where you tape off the tone holes, which of course this chanter can do. So uh, anyway, it was lovely to hear it and to play it and to see it, uh, that low F kind of show up uh, in, in an archival position, I guess. Obviously, I don't think Vickers was a bagpipe player per se, but uh, there's still like so few tunes that it works perfectly for, <laughs> like that range works. So anyway, here is Old Wagon Way. that F taped up, let's hear Badger and the Weasel, the tune where I first heard that uh, method being used. At least, first one I remember. It's possible that I heard John Charles do it first, then uh, he picked it up from Breacha, but I'm not sure if that's the order in which those things happened. I didn't notice it when John Charles played it. I was like, oh, that's a cool tune. Uh, it didn't, like, jump out at me, and now it has totally jumped out at me. Anyway, uh, let's hear Badger and the Weasel first, and then I'll play you the John Charles uh, tune that gets me. So yeah, looking at the the timeline on this, it's sort of, it's interesting to me. I think it's really revealing about like how your brain isn't ready for a thing sometimes. But um, so I first heard that tune, Badger and the Weasel, the, I think around the day, I think I bought Breach's album the day it came out. It's the loss is the Breach of Ross and Stephen Burns um, ish, uh, disc, right? And Badger and the Weasel is track three, and it's amazing, and it was like, oh my god, taping down to low F, that's amazing, everybody should do it. That that album came out in September. John Charles posted the air I'm about to play uh, in February, and I listened to it, and I loved it at the time, but my brain just wasn't really ready, I think, to understand what was going on. Um, it just, like, perceived John Charles as playing as excellent, and he was doing a funky tuning with the tenor drone, which I think... I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's why I didn't catch it, or you know, I just needed uh, needed to <laughs> sit with it for a while. But so anyway, so I heard John Charles do the tape down to low F thing before Breacha did. Um, John Charles will be quick to tell you that he got this tune from Breacha from from doing lessons with her. Um, but it's uh, but yeah, I really like his his performance of it. It's a Patrick McDonald tune uh, called "To Me uh, Comfortable Is Repose." Um, but yeah, it is. Uh, <laughs> Breacha and John Charles have had to do a lot of monkeying around uh, to wind up with uh, this melody, and I asked John Charles for the music, because oftentimes he he writes out all the stuff that he's playing from Tolranduches, uh writes it out on MuseScore, but he didn't, uh, this this isn't a tune he got from the Kiss to Riches or Tolranduches website, this is one he got from Breacha, and Breacha got it from Patrick McDonald, so he didn't write it out um, but he told me where to find it in Patrick McDonald. I went and looked at it and like, oh man, 
that is not written in a comfortable for bagpipers way. So uh, looked at the music and then listened back to John Charles slash Breach's version. I was like, okay, well, I'm, I guess I'm not going to use the music. I'm just going to go from what this tune feels like to me. So anyway, lovely tune. We're going to hear more from Patrick McDonald later, so it feels sort of weird to put it in here in the middle of this William Vickers stuff, but when we're talking about that low F tune, or low F note, feels appropriate. So here is Comfortable to Me is Repose. this interlude from William Vickers. Uh, anyway, I thought I would play, again, a tune we had on the a podcast last uh, episode, uh, which is Cuzzle Together. So this is a Robert Brunner tune, and, you know, on my D set of pipes, it doesn't have tone holes, and so I was used to playing it closed off the knee, and then you can kind of get that Northumberland um, small pipe kind of bubbliness. Um, by doing close fingering, and since you can tape the sides, uh, you can do that with this A chanter too. It doesn't quite work as well, I think, but also this is the second time I've tried it, and I've only had the pipes for 24 hours when I recorded this, so uh, it doesn't work, it doesn't quite do as good a job of mimicking Northumberland small pipes, but I think a lot of that has to do with it being pitched in A, and probably my drone setup, but I don't know, I, I think I'll probably explore this some more. Now you can only do this method uh, obviously, if, you, if you've taped the, the tone holes on the side of the chanter, uh, otherwise you won't be able to, like, plug it off. But it is a nice feature. If you're not going to use, if you're not using low G, um, anyway, if it's a low F tune, or if you don't use a low G, um, it can be a fun way to, like, be able to start and stop your chanter. Um, the tone, like, the, the pitch of the notes is a little off if you do it this way, and again, I, that might come down to me um, just being new to it. Uh, and, you know, even if you just play it normal, like off the knee, and then just for stylistic effect, want it to be quiet, it's nice to be able to do that and just drone along, because these drones sound so stinking nice. Uh, anyway, here is Cuzzle Together. This is a Robert Bremner setting from the 1750s. <laughs> Thank you. 
All right, let's get back to William Vickers proper. Um, so this next tune is a dance tune. It's called. It's a cotillion. 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 I assume it's cotillion, but I don't know how Vickers spelled things and how Matt edited it together. Uh, but yeah, this is cotillion or cotillion la pierrefitois. Lovely little dance tune. I was just watching some piece of culture that referenced cotillion dances or cotillion dances. Maybe Good Omens. I just I just finished the second season of Good Omens. Maybe it's in there. Uh, anyway, here it is. Next one is another William Vickers tune with just a delightful title, and it's kind of a fun little tune. This is Get Her Boo. This next one, I confess, I'm doing a second take of. Uh, I'm sitting down to record it, and the tune is lovely. And my versions that I recorded it uh, yesterday are just a little bit not as good as I feel like the tune could do. So this is Well Dane Jack. It is just such a fun, short little tune, like so many of these little dance tunes in Vickers. Um, anyway, here it is. And I'm also doing all four drones going. Uh, I. I kind of goofed up when I first did a live stream with these pipes. I tuned them to like what I liked the sound of, and kind of without realizing it, I tuned the the smallest drum, the alto, to E, uh, and then the tenor to A, and then the baritone, rather than also tuning it to E, I wound up tuning it to D, uh, and then the bass to A, so it was sort of this weird chord, and like listening back to it is not bad, like I don't dislike the sound that I was getting, um, but anyway... I messaged Rob like, oh man, hey, sorry, I accidentally was playing with kind of this weird uh, chord on the live stream, and he just said, yeah, I generally just play with two or three drones, and so I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll do that from now on, but I don't know, I just put all four on again uh, for Well Day and Jack here, and I kind of like the full the full business, um, but now it's at, uh, I tuned it to E-A-E-A, so it's a little bit more conventional, I guess, but anyway, here's Well Day and Jack from Vickers. <laughs>
right, and let's wrap up our last William Vickers tune. This is Joyful Days is Coming. So since these are Scottish small pipes, I wanted to not just play William Vickers stuff. Uh, Vickers, it seems like most of his, it seems likely that his collection and, and most of his collecting was from the northeast of England, probably in Northumberland. Um, uh, but there's lots of tunes that are from Scotland and England in there as well. And it seems like he was a fiddler, although, again, lots of stuff fits on the bagpipe quite well, as you have heard. Um, anyway, I wanted to move away from just doing Northumbrian stuff and kind of play some Highland tunes uh, or, or Scottish tunes as well. Uh, although it's kind of interesting. I was I was talking with Rob uh, Edwards, who sold that set of, of small pipes. So hopefully... Uh, well, anyway, hopefully nobody's desperately looking for it now after listening to it because he sold that Harriet Nowen set. Um, but anyway, Rob was getting together the package to send to the the person who bought the pipes, and it included a brochure from Harriet Nowen, and it was just sort of interesting tracing the trajectory of this, where it seems like uh, if we're to believe Harriet Nowen's old brochure, uh, like the Northumberland uh, or Northumbrian small pipes were. Uh, kind of first closed at the end of the 18th century, like first kind of corked up. And before that, there might not have been that much of a difference really between what we think of as Scottish small pipes and Northumbrian small pipes. And really the oldest set of Scottish small pipes that exist uh, are kind of, they're, they're in a funky key that would make more sense for a Northumbrian small pipe. Um, and there's a set of pipes that survived uh, in the American Revolution, and you look at it, and people have a hard time telling if they're Northumbrian small pipes or Scottish small pipes, because like there really wasn't much of a difference until Northumbrian pipes started adding all of the keys and corking them up as sort of the sense that I get from that Harriet Allen brochure and just my vague understanding of it. I kind of hinted at this last time that like I think this is what's going on, but I might be totally wrong. Um, and I'm sure there's like some nuance and specificity of what's going on that matters here. But I do think it's kind of cool that we've got this, there's a, a small instrument that's played in Scotland and in the northeast of England, that's kind of a small pipe. Um, and then for whatever reason, the Scottish small pipe sort of dies out for a long time while the Northumbrian small pipe really excels and kind of expands. And I think the reason is sort of obvious, right? Where um, at the same time, the Scottish small pipe goes away and the other instruments that kind of take their place or that emerge the Northumbrian small pipes that has a lot wider range and technical things you can do by corking it and adding these keys and the, the popularity of Irish bagpipes in Scotland and England as well as Ireland is starting to take off at the same time. Ellen pipes obviously have a much wider range than Scottish small pipes um, and are kind of being targeted at, at people that might want an additional instrument, right? Or like are already playing German flute, like it has a wider reach. And like, we don't really know much about the reach of Scottish small pipes prior to the revival, right? Like the, the set of pipes from the 18th century, the Montgomery small pipes, like, I think that's sort of it. Like we don't have a ton of examples of Scottish small pipes, um, from the 18th century. I, I feel like I'm likely missing a thing here, but I, I think it's just, other instruments were more interesting. Um, I'm not sure how common it was to see Northumbrian small pipes throughout Scotland in the like late 18th and 19th century, but certainly Ellen pipes were common. Like Irish pipes were heavily advertised and played throughout um, throughout Scotland, and before them, pastoral pipes too, right? Like there's lots of people that are playing that instrument. So anyway, that's um, that's my little bit of historical tidbits here or my current meanderings and thoughts about this. It's so funny. I'm like releasing this episode. Uh, I'm recording it now and I'm, you know, I'm, I gotta get on a plane and fly to Connecticut tomorrow to go to Piper's gathering. And I feel like there's a good 70% chance that I will have had various conversations with people and the instructors that will 
demonstrate that everything I'm saying now is wrong. So maybe we'll have a, the next episode might be footnotes and asterisks to uh, these things that I'm saying now. But anyway, so I wanted to do some Scottish stuff specifically with these small pipes. So I went to the best place for that for 18th century and also just a, a source I've neglected, I feel like lately, and that's Patrick McDonald's collection of Highland and Vocal Airs. We already played uh, Gentle is My Repose. Um, but yeah, just want to play a couple more tunes from that collection. So if you're not, if you don't remember Patrick McDonald, uh, probably I'm going to wind up doing a reposting of that sometime, um, this year, just like if I needed to do another rerun, cause we did a whole read through, uh, I had a, I hired a guy, uh, who wound up just giving it to me for free, which was very kind to do a professional kind of read through audiobook of the essay that Patrick McDonald has. And then I, we had a discussion with, uh, Matt Seattle and Keith Sanger and Pete Stewart and Barry Shears, um, and myself, God, I hope I'm not forgetting anyone. I don't think I'm forgetting anyone. Because, yeah, John Daly organized that thing, but he couldn't make it, and Adam Sanderson wasn't there. I think it was just us four. Um, anyway, we had this lovely discussion about the material, the tunes and stuff, um, and then I had a third episode on just playing a bunch of tunes from Patrick McDonald. So, anyway, it's a cool resource. It's one of the kind of most robust early um, printing, like late 18th century, early anyway, um, like discussion of like essay about the music and then an awesome collection of tunes. And there's been a really lovely reprint of it in the last 20 years or so with uh, Alan McDonald and other people kind of working on it to come up with the tune names. Because a lot of Patrick McDonald stuff, the titles are really vague. Um, and anyway, you can go back and listen to those old episodes or wait for me to post them as a rerun at some point um, to kind of get the the history of that book a little bit more. Uh, anyway, so let's Patrick McDonald tune. This is... Uh, I'm using the original so the titles are a little vague. And so this is one of the tunes he just calls Western Isle Dance. further testament to how vaguely titled and big Patrick McDonald's collection is, this is Sky Dance number 27. I guess to be fair, it's not Skydance 27, it is Skydance, and it's the 27th tune in that chunk of the collection. Um, although, yeah, I mean, whatever, there's a lot of tunes in this book. Uh, and this one is Skydance, tune number 29. <laughs> Thank you. 
And this next one is two tunes that are called Harris Dance, I think 31 and 32. Uh, anyway, I remember hearing one or both of these tunes on that album, Porridge Men. This is definitely a tune I played uh, on some of the Patrick McDonald kind of big discussions earlier. This next one is Oscar's Ghost. Uh, I actually just cut the song Oscar's Ghost. It was one of the last tunes I cut from Roly Poly. I sang it for the Halloween episode, and there were some things I just didn't like about the take. And yeah, anyway, uh, but this is a different melody altogether. So I don't know. Might revisit it for the Halloween episode. Uh, I'm not sure if this interpretation is terribly accurate. There's definitely some things going on with the score that I'm having to make some adjustments for. But anyway, here is Oscar's Ghost. That's awkward. Uh, I thought I had another track from Patrick McDonald uh, to finish out the episode, and I don't. Uh, and yeah, so I guess I'll just uh, record something new because I want to be playing these pipes again. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, thanks everybody for listening, uh, and huge thanks to Rob Felsberg for these pipes. Uh, they're already a joy after less than two days with them, uh, and I just can't, uh, yeah. Can't can't fathom the generosity uh, to gift me a set of pipes in order to make music on the podcast, and uh, I will say like uh, that's going to happen. Like the uh, like the, if you build it, they will come. I guess thing like you know uh, the podcast clearly goes in fits and starts about like what instrument do I have that I'm kind of in love with playing, and oof, these small pipes are going to define a lot of my music going forward. So if you like listening to them as much, uh, well, if you've enjoyed listening to them, let me just tell you, like his pipes are so lovely to play. Like you don't want to quit. 
Um, you just want to keep going. <laughs> um, so they're really lovely for the, the player too, and fairly easy to set up. Um, especially like I set them up without looking at his tutorial of how to set up a four drone set. And I think made pretty good music with them immediately. Uh, and then I watched the video and it's like, Oh, that's really logical the way he's got these set up. So just brilliant craftsmanship and attention to detail. I'm going to steal one of his photos cause, uh, he's got just such great photos of these pipes when they're still in his workshop for the, the cover art. If you want to see them up close. Um, yeah. Anyway, we're going to go out on a tune that's been on my fingers lately. Somebody asked me on Instagram to play it and I'm kind of frustrated with it because it's like the tune is called Farewell to the Creeks, but most people know it as Banks of Sicily. And like, that's sort of the song that goes with it. But supposedly it's a reuse of that melody, like that Farewell to the Creeks is the historical like roots of that tune. And it was sort of repurposed for, um, was it World War One or World War Two? But like, the Creeks, like the war against the Creeks is a American thing in the 19th century. And I'm really interested in it. Uh, but I can't quite figure out, uh, any roots to it that predate like the, the original tune rather than the, the world war one or world war two on the, the Italian version. Um, anyway, but it's a lovely tune. So here is Banks of Sicily and yeah, it's wild. Uh, posting this while I, you know, this is going to go live while I'm in Connecticut, kind of the first night, uh, probably sitting in a session in Connecticut right now or listening to one. Um, yeah, either hiding my shame from a terrible presentation uh, earlier today or uh, happy that I managed to pull something out. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm I'm super excited. I've never been to a gathering of pipers this way. And uh, I remember when I was talking with Pete Stewart about um, and like he interviewed me for, for common stock a while back. And he asked if I, I said, I felt like I was part of an American tradition of piping and like, I don't. And partially like, I'm just not part of a American community of pipers. And every time I found out about like Cargis or pipers gathering and saw what people were doing or like saw other people playing William Dixon tunes, I was like, Oh man, there's a whole world of people that are already doing the things that I am doing. And I didn't realize that I, I didn't have to be doing this alone. Um, so anyway, I'm anxious and excited to see everybody. And uh, yeah, so forgive me for being anxious. I've never been in a room filled with as many pipers as I am right now uh, when this episode goes live. So come up, introduce yourself. Um, and yeah, uh, apologies for forgetting names. I'm going to be overwhelmed and very excited. So, uh, anyway, here is Banks of Sicily on Quiet Piper Small Pipes, uh, made by Robert Felsberg. You can check out his website by going to Quiet Piper. I'll have a link in the show notes. Let me just double check that website. Uh, oh, I was going to pause, but I can look at his handy cards that he sent me. Uh, yeah, Quiet Piper, Bagpipes from Pittsburgh. His website is just thequietpiper.com. Uh, and yeah, lovely stuff there. You can check out his social media for lovely pictures of uh, these pipes and many others that he's made as well by just going to at thequietpiper on Instagram is where I look at a lot of his photos. Um, but he's also got a Facebook page. Anyway, links all links to all that in the show notes. And uh, yeah, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Cheers.